So it's that cringeworthy thing of people you know are going to read the sex scenes you've written and think, oh, is that what she's singing about? Is that what they do? And you've got to get over that. Like, no one asks Stephen King if he's buried 15 bodies in his garden. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, <laughs> see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Joining us today on Steam Scenes is Casey Bateman. Casey Bateman is the number one bestselling author of Regency and Renaissance historical romances, including the Secrets and Spies series and the Bow Street Bachelors series. Did I say that right? Bow Street, right? Not Bow Street. Bow Street is right. Bow Street, okay. Her books have received multiple starred reviews from Publishers Weekly and Library Journal and feature feisty, intelligent heroines badasses and bodices, wickedly inappropriate banter, and heroes you want to strangle and kiss. When not writing, Kate leads a double life as a fine art appraiser, an on-screen antiques expert for several TV shows in the UK. Super cool. She lives in Illinois with a number-loving husband and three inexhaustible children and regularly returns to her native England for research. Welcome to Steam Scenes, Kate. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thanks for having me. This is great. This is super fun. I'm curious, where in the UK are you from originally? Uh, so it's near Cambridge. So my, I had an auction house for 15 years. So that was in Stamford, which is Lincolnshire. So it's right on the border of three three little counties. So Rutland, uh, Cambridgeshire and Lincolnshire. Um, so the nearest thing was probably Cambridge, which is about 40 minutes from me. I lived in a tiny little village called Oundle, which is fab. <laughs> is it something <laughs> like we can call a hamlet? Not, not really a hamlet. A small market <laughs> town. I mean... It had a. I went. There was a. There's a public school there, and it is just like Hogwarts. I mean, when people ask, like, apart from a lock, which because it was kind of Scottish, it is basically Hogwarts where I grew up and lived that village. So, oh my god, that's really cool. How did you end up coming here? I'd have stayed at Hogwarts. What? Well, I got well. I didn't get kicked out of school. I graduated. From that school. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was the usual. My husband's work. I was I was lured here under false pretenses by my husband, who works for ah. a, a big uh, engineering company um, out here in the Midwest. And um, it was supposed to be a two years maximum three year placement. And I was quite happily running my auction house with my dad and my brother, and it was all going well. And I thought, oh, it'd be fun, you know, 24 months. That's only like you know, 12 sales. They'll barely miss me. So I literally walked out and said, yeah, we'll do it. What, what the heck? And I was pregnant with my third kid at the time. So I was going to have a few months off anyway. I was like, you won't miss me. I'll be back before you know it. And literally that was nine years ago now. And I'm still <gasps> here. <laughs> it kind of two years stayed and it kept, kept going. And now we're still here and we've got a house and a dog and everything. So, yeah. Uh, but if it wasn't for that, I would never have started writing historical romance. So, uh, yeah. See, that was my question. That was my question, whether you had picked that, whether you were writing while you were sort of like having this busy life in in, in Hogwarts uh, town mm. or if you picked it up when you came here. Well, sort of, yeah. I was always a massive fan and reader of historical. And my, my background, obviously, with the antiques is historical, but my, my right. degree was in English literature and French. And I always thought I would go into publishing or you know journalism and I did 
work in that for a few years before I started my auction house. But then my dad decided to set up the auction house and asked if I would come and do it. And he was good at painting some furniture. And he just said to me, oh, you can do everything else. And I was like, yeah, cool. Not realizing that's 90% of everything. That's <laughs> materia, you know, silver, ceramics, pottery, porcelain, everything. So I got the bum end of this deal. But anyway, I did it for 15 years and adored it. Um, but on the side, I was... I did write. It wasn't okay. romance at the time. Ironically, I was. Um, I saw a gap in the in the middle grade market for something cool and magical. So I just finished a manuscript when Harry Potter came out, <laughs> which was, and I just got it accepted by a UK publisher, uh, which was like a kids. It was like Quantum Leap for kids. It's really cool. Um, oh wow! I moved here, uh, and then I moved here, and that kind of went under the bed. And I, I started writing romance because that's what I loved. I'd read it. I can't remember. Every time I tell this story, I can't remember which book it was, but I just read a really bad historical and I was, you know, not working here because the, the laws for auctioneering is different here. Um, and I, I thrown it across the room and I said, God, that was so terrible. I could have written better than that. And my husband went, yeah, but you, I bet your pound you won't. Uh, and he I was like, I bet your pound I will. And I'm a stubborn brother. And he probably knows this. So he probably said it to give me something to do. But I thought, damn it, yes, I can. I mean, literally, I've got a degree in English. I know about history. Damn it all, I can write. I've read so many books. I can surely write one, which is what I did. And I sat down and wrote my first book, which was The Devil to Pay, which was my Renaissance Italian, you know, lunacy romp. Um, not knowing anything about the actual publishing market that Regency Italian is almost impossible to sell to traditional publishers because it's such a niche market. But I had just finished reading, I think it was Laura Kinsale, who was brilliant, who had done a couple of medievals. Um, and I thought, you know, I want to read more of that and looked around for them and I couldn't find it. So I'm like, okay, I'll just write what I want to read, which is, you know, hot mercenaries and feisty girls in castles, you know, coming <laughs> at it. Which is, that's where that book came from. And that, that actually got me my first publishing deal, even though it was unpublishable. Um, it Wait, so you got, you got your first publishing deal on a book that was so niche that it would have been considered unpublishable. That's kind of extraordinary. Ish. In the, I'd entered it into a couple of contests and it had won the contest and everyone was, and, and that, the finals judge for one of those contests was my then editor who, who ended up being my editor at um, Penguin Random House. Okay. And she judged it and said, I love your writing. I love this whole manuscript, but I just can't sell it. But can you write me a Regency? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'll write anything you like if you'll give me a publishing contract. So uh, yeah, I just started, did my Regencies, which I did a three book series for for them. Um, and I, I got an, I did it backwards. So everyone's like, oh, what's your path to publication? And um, it was backwards. I got the publishing offer, the offer to publish the book um, of Regency, which I had written a very quick spec, thinking it was a kind of joke, like, I'll just, sure, here's a book. And she said, yeah, I'll take it. And I was like, oh, I better get an agent and, you know, take this seriously. <laughs> and I, so then, then I called agents before that. And of course, you can't get representation at all. It's like, you know, hen's teeth finding an agent that will take you. Uh, right. But then I rang up and literally my dream agent and said, I, I I've got this offer of a publishing deal from Random House. Will you be my agent? And of course, at that point, they're like, yes, I'll take your 15%. Of course. Uh, but to be fair, she did get me the, the three book series. Uh, okay. That was pretty good. Because I was only going to write that one book and thought I was happy, you know, I was happy with that. And she and the agent said, well, this, she's got a brother and a sister, you know, they were always going to be three books in the series. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> of course there was. Of course. <laughs> I know. So she pitched the three book series, which then sold. And I was like, oh, now I've got to write the other two books now. This is like, wow. wow. <laughs> but it's so never so right. So, so I get, I, this is sort of like an oddly circuitous route to being a romance writer. I mean, you had said you worked in journalism before you started your auction house. Yes. Um, what kind of journalism were you doing? 
I had done, uh, it was anything I could, because I was straight out of university. I, I, my degree was in English literature and French, so completely unemployable. But I, um, I w- did loads. I worked for Cosmopolitan on the beauty desk for a while. Oh, I worked for Elle on the beauty desk for a while. <laughs> I got so much free makeup. It was brilliant. It, was it is ridiculous how much free crap you get. <laughs> oh, I still use it. Like 40 years later, I still got it all. Um, and then I worked, ironically, I temp for a while for Macmillan, who are now my publishers. I worked for their nature uh, magazine for a while in the, in the marketing department. So it wasn't really writing, Richard. And I did some editing. I did some like proofreading and stuff. for. Uh, an right. But okay. yeah, that I wasn't really you know thinking I'd sit down and ever write a book but I had I read obviously having read lots of proper in inverted commas literature like hardcore right. everything um I was kind of it was my escape at university I just plowed through like 10 well, harlequin here in England it's Mills and Boone but 10 mm-hmm. over weekend, you know because that was like the happy upside to all these French women dying of poisoning and jumping under trains and you know it's, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I write romance is because I want all those kick-ass women to just you know live happily ever after not languish away right isn't it funny how the usually the kick-ass ones do languish away <laughs> except in romance except well, in romance I myself rewriting it you know I got so fed up yeah. with, like, you know test of the devils it's like just get on a boat and go to America test you'll be fine you know live it up you know yeah. in the train station you know Anna Karenina he's not worth it just just run away with Ronsky and be happy I mean it's not hard right <laughs> it just drives me nuts so I guess in my head I none of those have sad endings dangerous liaisons was another one I couldn't bear it I was like no that just is not an acceptable ending in my head they live happily ever after he realizes mistake and grovels and gets better and she she survives and they're all fine so <laughs> it's probably denial of the worst sort I probably need therapy but so when so when did you start reading romance then proper was it college or was it even before um I suppose no I I think it was probably college I'd read you know vaguely romantically you know Anne of Green Gables and stuff like that and and the classics you know but there's not a lot of romance per se in them but I remember very clearly reading the first historical big proper book was uh it was Julie Garwood and I picked it up to commute I had a 40 minute commute on the train from my house to London and um, it didn't look like a romance book. It kind of looked like historical fiction. And, it, you know, it had the gates on the front and a castle or something rather than that clinch cover that, you know, gave you away on the train that you were reading. <laughs> Smart. Um, but I, and it blew me away. I was like, wow, there's a whole book of exactly what I want. It's these, you know, great people in an interesting setting and they all get happy. And it was brilliant. And that kind of opened the floodgates. And then I read everything, you know, that the old school, you know, Joanna Lindsay's and Woodward, right. you know, out those. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I've not stopped since, and that was like 25 years ago. So, <laughs> do you remember what book it was that that you had read? What, which was, book it was, Julie's? It, Julie, God, I think it was Ransom. I because re- I think I've okay. still got that book with a very battered cover. It was probably Ransom. Excellent. Um, it was cool. I mean, yeah, and then I devoured everything. So, people like you know Laura Kinsale, Loretta Chase, all of those you know favorites are my heroines still. <laughs> So when you started writing, did you did you ever close the door and like sort of ease into writing more graphic steamy scenes or were you always just like right there, right, you know, out there writing, never closing the door, not fading to black? Yeah, I, I used to get frustrated with the whole, I, I you know, I suppose the first books I read that were non, that were romance but not sex were the kind of Georgette Hire, Georgette Hare, however you say it, um, 
and and I love those. But yeah, the end. The most exciting thing is he clenches his snuff box, and you know maybe you get a kiss at the end, or he snaps his fan, or whatever. And I found that really frustrating. And I, was, I want that. You know, I want to see the open door stuff. I don't want fully necessarily fully graphic because sex can be quite boring if it's not written well. I mean, it can be better to leave it out to your imagination but when it's written well it is should complete the relationship of you know those two characters and it should be specific to those characters so yeah I find that I like it I mean my first it is hard to write and I know as a mother of three my mother is going to read those sex scenes and I think she's pretty sure this has been immaculate conception this one I've never had sex according to my mother so (laughs) cringeworthy thing of People you know are going to read the sex scenes you've written and think, oh, is that what she's thinking about? Is that what they do? And you've got to get over that. Like, no one asks Stephen King if he's buried 15 bodies in his garden, but everyone assumes that romance writers are writing exactly about what they've done or they've thought, which that makes me laugh. <laughs> well, that's actually an excellent point. Nobody, like, the FBI isn't showing up to Stephen King's house no. and being like, okay, so tell us about all these murders you're committing. Yeah. <laughs> But everyone's like, oh, you know, that thing they did. Have you ever tried that? I'm like, no, I have a great imagination. And again, if you've met my husband, he is far from a romance novel in the, in the standard. <laughs> he's not a rake or a rogue. No, <laughs> he's a lovely, you know, beat a hero. He's my hero, but he's not, you know, that's the thing. There's someone out there for everyone. So, I mean, you have to use your imagination for all the all of the thing, not just the sex scenes. But yeah, right. it's, it is tough to write. I have a good strong gin and tonic when I before I start writing a second do you really oh nice (laughs) sort of good to know (laughs) so to backtrack a little bit um what to you like what makes a sex scene good it I I think it's this it has to be specific to those characters I mean that's it it has to kind of tie in all of the kind of main themes of the book but at the same time it could be kind of you want to be really in the heads of those characters Mm-hmm. And they could, they've got to act as only those two characters would, um, if that kind of makes sense. Like if it, if it just could be any two characters from any books having having the sex, then it's not a great scene because you can just interchange them. So it has to be something specific. So either because of their, you know, their background situation or their mental state or the, you know, whatever's going on between them has to be, you know, in that sex. And it's got to have tension. That I think it's mm-hmm. still it's still it's all it's lots of complicated things happening and when people have sex it's it's control and it's power and it's trust and it's you know it's just a really interesting thing and it doesn't necessarily have to go well I mean you can have a very bad sex scene that's still a great sex scene technique <laughs> I mean like <laughs> do a lot and I was thinking about this a lot of my favorite books the first sex scene between the characters is actually a bad sex like it's it doesn't work so well or it's you know something goes wrong or it's it's not a good balance. And then that makes it interesting because once they've had sex, if it's all great, it's you're kind of done, right? So I think right. you can play with that in your, in, if you have more than one sex scene in a book, if it's not your kind of happily ever after sex scene right at the end, I usually stick them right in the middle and it's sort of the beginning of everything going wrong, really. <laughs> you know, they're <laughs> still lying to each other or there's still issues to be sorted out. So it's fun, but there's still kind of underlying tensions and, and conflicts in there, which kind of makes it for me really interesting. And I hope the reader as well. Yeah, no, it actually really does. Just to sort of look at that as your the first time, never it it if you're if you're writing it at that particular point in the book, that's not the end. They do still have things to work through, and so even if they have this great connection, you know, it is it, it's all it all has to fall apart afterwards. Yeah, 
and because that's it usually the first one is is just about the kind of physical emo you know stuff and all the other things are still in the background causing problems and it's probably right. at the end when you finally get that that full completion of everything is all coming together and that's why it's going to be a successful long-term relationship is that you need to believe that at the end but you don't necessarily need to believe it at the at the midpoint and uh, that's what makes it fun as well if there is danger or risk or anything like that obviously that adds to the the tension and the and the stuff yeah. there as well it's all fun as an author to play with <laughs> <laughs> so you you need your your gnt before you start writing did, did you realize that like your very first one when you sat down to write it were you like i better have a gin and tonic um before i get this started or like how did you muddle through the very first one if you can remember i was trying to write because it must have been in in that the devil to pay which i i think i just read i read i mean obviously i read a lot of things and i went back and actually specifically broke apart some of my favorites sex scenes to see how they've done it and you know I think you obviously the deeper the point of view can be I think the more engaged the reader is because you want to be there experiencing that whether it's the first time for the person or the 50th time or you want to be in the character's heads kind of feeling that so all the senses need to be engaged you need to be describing stuff but not so much that it puts you off like I'm, I'm a terrible one of obviously with my historical background I I know what a 15th century you know castle looks like and a doorknob and a table and but you can't be noticing that halfway through unless it's relevant to the sex scenes you can't go oh that's a great you know majolica picture on the side (laughs) (laughs) Um, hmm. yeah you have to be I can't remember actually I think I just wrote it I mean I'm fairly unembarrassable like that um yeah I I think I wanted to have the forces I mean obviously you can write it's, it's hard to write pardon the pun I mean it's very easy to write a bad kind of tab a and slot b the technicalities of it and that's usually what comes first is you're working out whose arm is where and where you know physically where are they in the room are they you know on the bed are they, are they not on the bed how are they getting there but after that then you have to layer in the emotions and all the conflicts and stuff as well right right and that's why i i want you know i've from i i take forever to write my intimate like forever it it can be really like pulling teeth whenever I'm getting to that intimate moment like my writing just sort of grinds to a halt and I think it is that constantly going back over it and layering it in and layering it in layer 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 you know um is that your process or do do you work differently I I mean I have friends that do that and actually physically go in and write you know layer in like this is the one where the past where I'm going to put in smell taste touch kind of thing my I I just write it and it seems to kind of all come together I you know I'm pretty lucky in that I tend to do a pretty clean first draft and I don't really tweak them that much I mean it's uh I obviously I get edits back and my editor will say oh you know he he's got three legs in this scene so you know one of them has to get one of them (laughs) (laughs) you know know, she's left her dress over by the door but actually it's still hanging on the lampshade or whatever it is but those are kind of things you can you can tweak but no, mind. T- I have fun writing them. I mean, I think that's part of the the fun of writing it is that the fun has been that build up to it, and there should still be that fun sort of teasy sexing scene, or te- te- you know, teasing and stuff in the whole sex scene as well. It should kind of again reflect with the characters if they're intense people, then it should be an intense scene. If they're kind of more teasing and they're still messing about with each other, it should be like that. So I have a lot of fun writing it. I think it's it's just a natural part of their you know, their um, relationship. I'd feel a bit cheated myself if I don't, if I don't get at least some kind of glimpse through the bedroom door. Not, not that I dislike, you know, sweet romances, uh, you know, I'm quite happy with ones that don't go that far, but I prefer ones that, that give you that entire view of that, that snapshot of the relationship. 
Right, right. So when you had said that when you first were writing your, your very first one, you went back and, and sort of like dissected um, scenes that you loved. What Do you know what you were looking for in particular while you dissected them? Well, I suppose part of it was, you know, how, how long are they? How Like literally, because... Right. You know, are they are they a chapter long are we in whose head are we in are we alternating points of view and I tend to do that during when I write a six and I want to have both points of view usually because they they're usually conflicting you know it might it's maybe the the first time for the um for the heroine but for the hero it's obviously not and it's you want to see those different you know what people are thinking of different points of view um right. I suppose I was looking for all the things like how how are they doing it what are they you know are they what are they describing are they how are they getting that deep point of view um what other things are happening where are they where is this taking place at what point in the book is this taking place you know what mm. goes wrong at the end of it you know all those things okay cool it's it's just so, sort of interesting to sort of see what you know in terms of dissecting a scene what people are looking for you know because um it's something that i i struggle to do because i always go back and try and dissect and then i get and then i find i get swept away in the reading again and all of a sudden i'm like you know 70 pages into a reread and i'm like i it's three hours later and i'm like i don't know what i was supposed to be doing here but this is a great book <laughs> exactly this is it's the danger isn't it it's, 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 <laughs> it's interesting that loads of my favorite writers they all write sex scenes differently like i mentioned laura kinsell she writes she writes really good scenes but but her writing is just beautiful i mean she has mm-hmm. you know imagery and themes and descriptions in there that i you know i would probably never think of in a million years or i was looking at um there's a really good one which was i think judith ivory it's old school it's called beast and it's the hero and the heroine who will who are betrothed but meet each other on a cruise ship on the way to the betrothal and, and they have their first sex scenes completely in the dark so they don't know it's each other if you know what I mean they're just attractive strings and it's fascinating because that's a completely different twist on because normally you're seeing you know, right so I thought that was really brilliant um and yeah there, there's a whole bunch of really different ones that I thought oh that's that's really clever you know really clever as an author you when somebody does something really well and differently you look at it and think wow how are they doing that you know the Fifty Shades is a classic example. I mean, that's like, how how are you doing that? You know, you might not love the writing, but you can't deny that it's, you know, re- very readable. You rip through it. You know, it's, it's enjoyable. So, yeah. Right. There, and, you know, however many million copies that book sold, I mean, it clearly resonated with a lot of people. And that is going to be the mark of a good book, whether you like the writing or not. It's still a mark of a good book yeah. or a good story. So... When you're writing period romances, I love historicals. I would love to write one. They are so intimidating. <laughs> well, I'm scared by by you know by the by the modern day things because I really? yeah I come I can get it so wrong and I, I stick to what you know right. So I mean I would have to write you know an English you know an English sort of heroine and things like that. I don't think I could ever write a contemporary American set thing because I just still get too many things wrong after living here for so long oh. <laughs> I mean literally uh, daily the the word use is I reckon there's about a third of words that are completely different meaning or, or you know use between English English and American English I mean it's just I, it's amazing language is a fascinating thing but 
I, I like historical. It is fun. I, I obviously, having had 15 years as an auctioneer, I've seen all the things from all the periods that I, you know, I know what they, I've Regency fan looks like, and I've touched a reticule and I've worn the dresses and I, you know, all these, I've picked up the teacups and stuff. So I've got that sort of comfortable thing in my head that right. I'm in my setting and I'm fairly confident in that. And I've read a lot in that genre that also makes me confident in it. But it doesn't have to be exact. There's, there's this huge, discussion over you know historical accuracy and especially yeah. with Bridgerton that's come up now with you know that's an interesting thing in itself but I'm not trying to write historical fiction it is it is a historical fact it's like flavored historically flavored fantasy it's it is a fiction and nobody wants the realities of Georgian England they're in in reality there were no hot dupes they're all like fat and you know balding and inbred and you know had gout no you know we've already suspended disbelief to get to this point you know no one his legs or has a bath once a month you know all of that stuff so it's already and so where's the balance between you know it has to be absolutely histor- historically accurate versus a bloody good story that you just want to read so I, I battle with it constantly you know I still have people complain certainly for the medieval I had people complain about um some language use and things that were too contemporary but it has to be accessible to a modern reader, right? If I'd read, written that entirely in medieval Italian, <laughs> how authentic do I need to get? You know? Right. <laughs> the uses that were used then and words, people wouldn't understand it. So yeah. it's this balance, it's, it's, there's never, I try and justify, there's, there's no way, you either enjoy it or you don't, and there's always people that are going to pick little bits apart. But I try to stay as true as I can to, to the period. Have you, have you seen the show Peaky Binders on Netflix? I've seen a couple of yeah that, that a couple of them but not the whole lot but uh, right and the music the music uses like they're using contemporary like in, like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds like all of this like contemporary music is overlaid in a very period piece and it's it works so well. Richardson does that too. I noticed they had like Ariana Grande on a, on a four piece chamber orchestra. You know, it was absolutely. Really oh, cool. I haven't watched that yet, so I don't know what's going on. Over there. It's really it's clever, but the point is, it's for a modern audience, and we're going to yeah. get those things. And every every book is written for the the ages you know, it's written in, you know, we look at his, Bridgerton was written 20 years ago. And some of my favorite books are classic old school bodies rivers that in terms of consent, are utterly unacceptable now. And you know, yeah. you would not write them the way now. I mean, what was fine in the 80s is absolutely not okay. Now we've come to realize that and change the way we write. So I, I suspect people will look at our books now in 20 years and go, my God, what are they thinking? How can you write that? But <laughs> <laughs> we're here and we're writing and people are enjoying it so <laughs> yeah I you know I know one of the questions that I sort of uh, threw out to you as prep was like you know for me it's always sort of so shocking that these characters and historicals are having so much sex outside of marriage and you know even though I guess at the end they're always they always end up betrothed but um but there's am I making an assumption that the people back then just weren't randy or is this again like the this is you know this is a belief that we're gonna we're a disbelief we're gonna suspend it you know like is that oh my god so people are people are people people have been right. and so the problem with the regency is you're only talking about literally a span of you know nine years you know in a very specific part of the top 200 families in england it's the tiniest part of microcosm of the whole of history but people are obsessed by it and you only have to look 50 years before that the georgians were at it 
constantly. I, mean, I had no idea. Everyone's at it. I mean, you look back to the Romans, any any period in history, you know, is is basically there's strife caused by people having affairs or, you know, anything. Look at Antony and Cleopatra. I mean, it's just politics. Sexual politics is everywhere, right? And it's usually caused by men and women having all sorts of issues that cause... Look at Henry VIII. I mean, the entire protestant reformation in england happened because he wanted to get rid of one wife and marry another <laughs> so he <laughs> that's a very good point <laughs> it's people are no different and you know there are filthy books from like the 1500s and there are filthy books from today and i was reading one actually it was called it's pietro aretino it's the secret life of nuns and it's it made me laugh so much i mean it's just completely tongue-in-cheek you know erotica but it's just funny as hell as at the same time so to think that people were not reading and writing this kind of stuff is you know it's happened all the time but I like the Regency period because you've got those restraining factors right these people were trapped by the marriage mark and wealth and that the need to be seen as doing the right thing and you know and having to marry and keep the family money within the you know the top few hundred families and stuff like that so it's a kind of really interesting cage that the characters either have to break out of or use to their advantage, you know, or work their way through. So I kind of like the constraints that they put on them, but everyone likes a rebel. And so I think most of my heroes are, I don't just want to read about a girl that, you know, just about marries, you know, her husband and finds that she loves him. I wanted the girl that, you know, sailed off to Egypt and discovered some pyramids and then came back and fell in love with the, you know, the Egyptologist, you know, Indiana Jones type. So yeah, yeah. Like I saw, like your your women are like they're spies. They're like they do all of these. The female characters are doing all these wonderfully interesting things, and they're you know they're actually kind of almost more fascinating than than the heroes. Yeah, uh, my girls girls do cool skills. That's that's kind of my thing. Badasses and bodices, and they're all based on genuinely real historical plots, real people. Sometimes I've I've tweaked it, say you know to say, oh, what if that was a woman than the man, but. Almost right. all my plots have come from real, like, I was thinking about this, my, to catch an L, that's the real theft of the French crown jewels, um, the submarine plot to rescue Napoleon in the, this L of mine, that was a real plot that was hatched by an American called Robert Fulton that happened. Um, Steal a Heart, that's a real prison break from uh, Chateau of Vincennes by a guy called Henri Latude. And so I've, lots of these are based, in fact. He was- but That is so cool. So I did a reverse of that. So this this guy, Henri Latide, was put in prison because he'd, I love his story. He, he was a complete, a courtier at the court of Marie Antoinette and he, oh no, Madame de Pompadour. And he um, sent a, a box of poisoned powder to Madame de Pompadour and then pretending that he had discovered the plot because he wanted to be, you know, fated for not, you know, discovering a plot to kill the queen, told her about it. But they obviously traced it back to him. It's like, you actually were the one that sent the powder. So he got stuck in the, <laughs> stuck in prison. <laughs> But then he he escaped twice. He was put in La Tour in, in Paris and then again in the Chateau of Vincennes. And he wrote a book when he got out. He, he escaped twice and went and fled to, I think, it was Switzerland where they couldn't extradite him and wrote an apology to the Queen. So I'm so sorry, but I've escaped. And by the way, I'm in Switzerland. And they, they arrested him again and brought him back. But he wrote a book and he was a great escapee. And he wrote a book of exactly how he escaped. And I read it and thought, this is just genius. Like, he's How fantastic is that? <laughs> but then I thought, okay, well, I can't have my heron breaking out. But what if I had used the same method to break in? Right. Um, and and some things in the, real, in the real 
stories are just too ridiculous. You think, I can't write that because no one will believe it. So Henri Latude, the bit that didn't make the cut was when he was in his cell, he trained rats. Rats are trainable and he trained them to, to run messages between his cell and his other people's cells in the block. <laughs> and I, I, I pitched that to my editor. I was like, I think he can have trained rats. He's like, nobody's trained a rat. I'm like, this guy did in 1750. That's one of those where you, ha- you get one of those reviews that said, this could never happen. Know, and it's like, well, actually. <laughs> and I'm such a geek that I'm like, well, I think you'll find that in 1150, there's a, yeah. But I, you should say. <laughs> I know I, I it's funny I, I shouldn't engage that's the point right? I've done my research I'm pretty happy with it but you can go down a very evil rabbit hole of research if you want to go that way yeah how do you so is, is this is this sort of like a byproduct of your day job or how do you like, like this is really fascinating how you're able to kind of tumble onto these stories yeah I mean you just Again, it's like you click and you click and you you kind of research one thing and then you discover this thing that's so cool. Like the, that was the the submarine plot to escape Napoleon or rescue Napoleon from St. Helena. I discovered that looking for something completely different. And I was like, this is so cool. Like I couldn't believe that. I was like, what? How has this not been in a book? Um, so are you doing like Google deep dives or are you like actually in the archives of these libraries? Like I, where are you researching this stuff? This is awesome. No, it's just, I mean, it is basically internet. I'll look on, on something and it'll lead me down this rabbit hole of, and, and some, a lot of them are dead ends. And I've done it for years and you'll you'll pick up something, you'll stick it in a folder, you'll think, oh, that's really cool. I want to put that in a book or, a, and it, a lot of it's my own interests. Like I am fascinated by, you know, lost art and art that's, you know, things like stolen paintings and counterfeiting. So that's, the, the, I've got thieves and counterfeiters and, you know, art, people who, jewel thieves i just think they're fun i love those heist movies i, I do like too girls getting I, away with it and yeah one criticism i got recently was oh you know you you know there's never been a, a jewel thief, an, an international you know an english a girl jewel thief and you've never heard of a girl counterfeit i'm like yeah exactly because the girls are too clever to get caught you've heard of the guys because they're the ones that have made the news and got stuck in prison and the girls they went off whistling with a bag of money to the new world and you know they're the ones that that what <laughs> So there are all these unwritten stories of these badass women through history that are, you know, once you find them, you're just, they're gold. And and (laughs) my heroines are like meshes of a couple. So I did, there's a a novella I did, which was an Egypt set novella, because I'm pretty sick of English ballrooms. Um, So the first, my first three book series I pitched was, it was Regency England, but actually the first book is 90% in Napoleonic France. And the second book's 90% in Napoleonic Spain. And the second one, mainly England but okay. I've already completed the manuscript and handed it in to my, ed- my editor and she's like not much in England ballroom I'm like there's two scenes in a ballroom in England like the rest <laughs> is a road trip round, you know post-Napoleonic Spain but you know give it, give it and she went with it so I'm very lucky but my one Egypt novella was based on a the wife of a, a chap called Belzoni who discovered a whole bunch of the things out in Egypt or rediscovered, I should say. Um, but Sarah Belzoni, his wife, never makes the news, but she was there with him doing everything, you know, living it up for years, actually organising everything and getting it done. And he's the one that took all the praise for like moving the statue uh-huh. of Ramesses to the British Museum. And she's the one there, you know, actually <laughs> doing it after he died as well, carried on doing it. So I just like the fact that there's these women actually doing this cool stuff and I'm, I'm kind of giving them a fictional voice. I love that. 
I absolutely love that. So I want to dig into your scene. Um, it is so good. Uh, <laughs> this is from <laughs> The Princess and the Rogue. Can you set up where we are? Okay, so this is the midpoint. This is the, the midpoint sex scene. And this is the first scene between them. And it's my heroine is a Russian princess who has faked her own death in Paris, as you do, obviously, to escape a, uh, a horrible suitor who's a traitor. And she's hiding out as plain Anna Brown in, uh, in England. And the heroine is Sebastian Wolf, who is a Bow Street runner who is reluctantly having to um, look after her. He doesn't know she's a princess. So that's why this is, I enjoyed this scene because they're emotionally, they're naked, like physically, but emotionally, mm. there's still a whole lot of lying going on. And there's a whole bunch of layers of different, you know, openness and questions going on and, and playing about with that. So, yeah, that's where we are. Okay, great. Okay. Um, okay, here's the first little bit. His boots brushed her skirts. They describe kissing in three three forms. First, there's the osculum, which is a friendly peck on the cheek. He bent and pressed a chaste kiss just below her collarbone. Her stomach quivered. Next, we have the basium, a more erotic kiss on the mouth. He matched his words with a featherlight brush on her lips. It was only a casual touch, but Anya felt, felt it right down to her toes. She was enchanted, a prisoner of sweetness, completely focused on where he touched her. She sucked in a, a shaky breath, and the last kind, the savium, the most passionate of kisses. He gazed hungrily at her lips, and her blood thundered in anticipation. Unable to bear the suspense, she rose up on tiptoe and fused her mouth to his. His arm came around her, and he answered her demand with a thrilling ardency, angling his head for better access. Desire scalded through her blood oh my god the heat you created with the three different kisses uh, it was so intense and and again like it was that tension right that you talked about earlier is just even in these you know couple of paragraphs just with describing each form of kiss I, I, how did you approach this because this kind of opens the the scene and that that so the, the kind of this helps with the overarching things of the fact that you've got who's who's in charge you know who's uh, like she is a princess technically she's higher in the social ranking than he is but he doesn't know that and she's right. with zero experience in this field so I kind of was playing with the ideals of you know who's who's in charge here you know who what power the social power the male female power in here you can mess about with this and I the fact that he's being very I like the, the contrast between him very being practical like a tutor and kind of describing this kind of very dry you know Roman history but at the same time it's super sexy and um, and it's it's that slowing it down I think that's the main thing is you've I, lots of my books have lots of fun banter and they're very quick-witted and they bounce off each other but in the sexy you really want to slow it down we want to feel all those heartbeats you want to feel that kind of you know tightness of your stomach and the, the anticipation of it and so I'm kind of being mean I'm drawing it out I'm slowing the whole thing down and um I think they're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I was enjoying it. <laughs> okay, now let me see. Moving down a little bit. Um, very, very small, very, very small, like one paragraph that I just like, just was holding my breath through. It was really exquisite, frankly. Okay. He was left in a white shirt, black breeches, and top boots. Without the cravat to hold it together, the neck of his shirt fell open, revealing an exciting glimpse of tawny skin. Fascinated, she stroked her figures over the jut of his collarbone and the intriguing hollow at the base of his throat. His skin was warm, smooth, delicious. See, 
this to me was genius because in so many romances, we're always exposing the woman's skin and here it's the reverse. And, you know, when we expose, and at least I read a lot of contemporary romances because that's where I write. And it's always the hardness, the muscles, the, you know, with the man and the softness with the woman. And this you're able to, you re, you've reversed that. And I thought that that was absolutely brilliant. Well, thank you. I, 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 I didn't even think that hard about that bit, but I'm looking at it. Well, we're in her gaze and it is her first time. So I want the reader to feel that if we're really deep in her point of view, we want to feel that sense of discovery. This, you know, it's everything's new and she wants to save it. Like when something's new, you take notice of it, right? If you've right. done it a thousand times, you kind of don't stop and enjoy the moment. So yeah, that's, and it's got the, the, first we start with the sight and then we go to the touch. And so you're deepening the levels of, you know, eventually you'll be getting to the taste and the, you know, the kissing and then, you know, things like that. Um, and again, there's a, a slight play, I guess, here on the fact that he's warm. So I'm playing up. There's a, a overarching uh, Russian fairy tale where she is like a snow princess who falls in love and melts. And either the melting kills her or the melting thaws her, and she, you know, falls in love. So there's this, there's a, a potential for disaster or happiness. And he's always, when I describe him, he's always the one that's hot. He's warm. She's the one that's melting, and she's described in kind of icy terms, and he's always described as kind of hot and warm terms. So I, oh, wow. that's also going into here. He is, look, his skin was warm. And I think later in the thing, you know, you get she she's worried, she's melting. She's, you know, they obviously they get together. They're hot together. So it's a danger right. for her that she's letting down her guard. Um, I mean, practically speaking, as you're writing, because, you know, clearly there's some, co you know, there's costuming things going on here. She's hmm. got the shirt, the breeches, the, the, you know what I mean? Like, how are you, do you have like a, are you working through, how are you working through that, it, sort of practically speaking? Do you have photos up on your computer? Or are you kind of picturing it in your in your head, you know? Um, it's all yeah. My, I mean, I, yeah, mine sort of play out like movies. I literally am writing down, I think, what's just in my head. I don't, okay. I suppose because I've seen enough of these things. I mean, occasionally I'll get to a practical point of like, okay, how many buttons, how do you actually, how many laces and buttons are there to undo a corset? You know, you get those technical things where you don't want to, you know, put a zipper in a region of that, which happened on the back of one of my foreign covers, I have to say. The Croatian version of one of my books, somebody said, she's got a zipper on her dress. I'm like, oh, yeah, she has. How did that get past 10 lots of <laughs> cover editing? But hey, um, but, uh, yeah, I've lost the plot now. Where were we? I don't <laughs> okay that's oh, yeah. okay we're unbuttoning, gonna... unbuttoning trousers yeah or, or, yeah and I, I think that's part of the you want a little bit of that detail because otherwise it yeah. could be a historical romance people want those slight differences to remind you that you're in a historical period and I think we can all imagine like you know Darcy or Simon Hastings or whatever I mean you've got those images in your head of you know loose white shirt cravat mm -hmm. buckskin breeches should absolutely come back we have we were idiots to put men in loose trousers and sweatpants. I mean, there is, I, I'm single-handedly on a crusade to bring these back because they're <laughs> and top boots are definitely a much better way of, you know, getting an eyeful. Um, yeah. <laughs> we've lost a lot of definition in men's, men's fashion. I, I miss it. It's sad. <laughs> I would love to see that walking down the runway. That would be great. The next runway oh. show. <laughs> 
I mean, it's exactly why people like Jean-Paul Gaultier, that's all he would do, is a tight T-shirt and a, an amazing pair of, you know, black leather tight pants. He's brilliant. Yeah. It's not... <laughs> It doesn't need to reinvent the wheel, you know. Bring bring back breeches and top boots. Hell yes. More of that, please. <laughs> I think yeah. even, but I think that's such a great point that I think even writing contemporaries, you know, there are, you know, I guess, you know, I guess I, I feel like, you know, what I'm writing are sort of like t-shirt and jeans guys, you know, but I kind of feel like, oh, you should put them in more interesting clothes. Like, you know, because you could have so much more fun undressing them. Yeah, and and also hard to undo things. I mean, that's again part of the the difficulty or the the, the drawing out process of the regency is that there's so many bloody layers. I mean, like seriously, and part of it's the fun is the anticipation. You know, there's super sexy scenes. There's a scene in um, Loretta Chase's Daughter of Scandals where he literally just unbuttons her glove on the inside of her wrist, and it's it's mm. ridiculously sexy because that's as that's as sexy as it gets, right? I mean, you know, or they. <laughs> You know, heated glance or very slowly undoing buttons is a great thing that you can play with. Um, yeah. And, and clothes are a shorthand. Like, so you're, if you put your guy in a leather jacket, you don't need to say much about the character. But, and it already tells the reader a lot about the character in just that shorthand of he's a leather jacket rather than a denim jacket. Or, right. or, or a cardigan. Evening jacket. Exactly. You've already yeah. got a kind of very quick, um, almost tropiness about it. And, you know, I guess from my guys... I love the fact that they're, you know, their jackets are so tight they can barely get them off. I mean, that just makes me laugh. You need help getting it off, which can add <laughs> to it as well. Like, you know, I genuinely think they, the things would rip if they actually did most of the physical work that I have them doing in this. Uh, <laughs> bodice ripping, it's going to be like breeches ripping. I mean, they're not tight. I mean, <laughs> I should, I, that's going to be my new strap line. It's got to be breeches, breeches ripping, bodice Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they're not bodice rippers. <laughs> okay. Now we are. Let's see. Okay. Um, I kind of moved down a bit. Uh, getting a little bit more to the nitty gritty. Okay. Um, he trailed his tongue in a lazy, ever decreasing circle around one rosy peak, and when he captured it between his lips, she gave a soft, startled cry of wonder. All sensible thoughts fled. His hand slid over her hip bunching the silk of her drawers and despite her excitement she stiffened he lifted his head and caught her gaze relax lest you get accustomed to my touch his voice deepened by desire oh let yourself get accustomed to my touch whoa sorry his voice deepened by desire made her shiver still holding her gaze he stroked his palm over her stomach then down over her silken drawers then lower still between her legs petting her through the silk to her mortification, she felt the material dampen with the evidence of her desire, and she put her hand down to try and shield herself. But his impassioned groan made her pause. No, sweetheart, it's all right. It's perfect. You're perfect. God, please let me. He slid down her body and used his broad shoulders to nudge her knees apart. Anya's eyes grew wide as he slid one hand beneath her bottom to lift her hips and pressed a kiss there, right at the hot center of her body. She sucked in a slow, scandalized breath. His chuckle was a wicked sound. Nice. Tell me what you want, Miss Brown. She caught his hair and pushed him back down. More, more of that. Oh my God. I love this moment. I loved it. 
there was such hesitation the hesitation was so necessary she's inexperienced she's this is like all new to her and she's a little bit embarrassed you know and like this is so real this happens especially like your 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 first time with somebody new your very first time which this is hers I love to talk talk about the hesitation well, I'm from both of them because he's the one with all the experiences. So that's why the whole please let me. I, I really, I very much want to have consent from both of them. And, and there's it, it such a, a big amount of trust. And, you know, you know, you have to trust the person. You know, you're trusting them with your body. You're completely open, emo- like physically. And, but then I like to play with that, that Miss Brown. You know, tell me what you want, Miss Brown. And there's that kind of teasing bit to their thing. And also... There's conflict there because that's not her name. She's she's still mm-hmm. under alias at, at this point. He she's Anna Brown or Anya, but she's you know Princess Anastasia Denisova. So there's still right. that layer of of lying. So it's interesting that she's physically naked, but actually emotionally she's not quite there yet. And so there's still stuff to be worked out. But again, it's still teasing because she calls him Mr. Wolf. So it's that kind of the the formality of that versus the fact that he's right in between our legs. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that there's that kind of dichotomy of like exactly that because this this also echoes the very first time they meet where um they've kissed without even knowing each other's name in a brothel and he they, they say oh I don't think we know each other well enough to you know use first names or something which is ironic because they he's literally had his tongue down her throat <laughs> <laughs> and also they don't actually know each other's names for the whole no. really book right <laughs> I mean, it's literally just after this so she they have done the done the deed and it's he goes down to get to the stables to kind of think oh my god what have I done how you know to reassess and at that point right. that's when it's revealed and so he's like wait what and she's like oh, <laughs> Now you fuck someone who outranks you. Congratulations! And he's like, "What?" <laughs> so this is the bigger reveal straight after this, which is where I play with everything goes horribly wrong straight after the full sex scene in the middle. Um, and oh, as, a, as a writer, that's so much fun to just—I literally, you sit there, you know, chickly and glee and rubbing your hands together. Oh, these two are gonna get it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I going back to the sex scene. Yes, it's—I want. Because the power is kind of, you have to have the consent and you have to have, you know, mm. I will stop when you want to and, you know, do you want to do this? And, and I think that's something that's changed even in the last five years, probably. So yes. historicals is yeah. that you want that, even if it's, you know, not explicitly, but it can be implicitly, it's got to be there that you've got to feel that there is, nobody's taking advantage of anyone else. Um, right. Certainly not in this. I mean, you can get that. uh, You can cross the line a little bit in sort of more contemporary and the hotter kind of erotica kind of romance because that power and the control is is what they're playing with. But I think in something like this, which is kind of more standard, it's, yeah, you want that balance between the two of them. Right. Okay, next bit. He raised his brows at her and laughing question, feeling relaxed now, Miss Brown. Um, Oh, maybe I should go. Um, She was... I think, yeah, he, he gave her, just to jump so that we know what we're talking about, he gave her an orgasm, correct? Right before uh, this. Yes. I'm trying to remember. Um, oh, yes. Here we go. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Have. yeah. Yes. Okay. Clever so. is our <laughs> Feeling relaxed now, Miss Brown. I am indeed Mr. Wolf. Think you can take more. She held his gaze. Yes, I want everything he made a sound of pleasure and moved over her she reveled in the glorious weight of him pressing her into the bed she'd never felt more cherished more protected 
He propped himself on his forearms to relieve her of some of his weight, and his hair roughened thighs slid against hers as he settled between her hips. With a shudder, she felt him, slick and solid at the entrance to her body. He took her hands, laced his fingers through hers, and spread them wide against the bed. It should have been alarming, a position of utter submission, but instead Anya felt powerful, beautiful, like some glorious sacrifice to the pagan gods. She'd chosen this, desired it above all else. I loved, I did love how you're playing with submission through the, really through the whole scene. Yeah. Um, First with him, then with her, you know, it's not, but it's not a BDSM book, like, but this is, this is something that sort of is a push and pull going on through this entire scene. I'm kind of curious, why does that work within their relationship? I think it's because of those social constraints that we talked about earlier, because she right. technically is, she's a princess, so she is above him. And in fact, that all, t- spoiler, this ties on to right at the very end of the scene where he asks her to marry him. And she says, she says, no. And for a second, he's like completely thrown. And she says, no, you can't ask me because I'm the princess. So I have to ask you. So she asks him. So it's that kind of the whole relationship of theirs is, yeah, it's like, and, and it's about her discovering she's been this ice princess and so she's got power in the sense that she's rich and beautiful but she hasn't fully dis- discovered the power of like it says as of being a woman and there can be mm-hmm. power in in you know accepting help and power in over a man who is physically superior to you you know he could technically just overpower her and take it so that's where that kind of trust issue and the and the female kind of intuition and power comes from and I, I like exploring that I, I want that in my relationships I want to know that there's some kind of, if not physical equality in terms of muscle mass, then at least there is that consent of, if I ask you to stop, you will stop kind of thing. Right. Um, and enjoying it, you know, just, just sex is enjoyable. It's part of, <laughs> it's part of life. It should be really enjoyable. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Last bit. She slid and he, bleh. Start over. <laughs> I can't bear to read my own stuff aloud. It makes me cringe. I don't know why, but go. I know. I hate hearing my own stuff. I'm so sorry because I know this is so hard. Originally, because I one of the first podcasts I did ages ago when podcasting wasn't even a thing and it was for my urban fantasy, I, would, I did an, a podcast interview. This is a big aside. And I had to read it. Part of the, part of the interview was me reading 20 minutes of my book. Oh, my God. Me. 20 minutes. I was dying <laughs> I was dying and so when, when I started envisioning this because I was like I want to sort of like pick out scenes and talk about it and I was like oh I should have the writers and then I was like oh no you need to read that yourself <laughs> it's much and I can't listen to the audiobooks of my books if I've literally had about five minutes of one book and that's I've done because it's just not how I hear it in my head and it's not the, yeah. on the words that I mean it to be and it's fine once you've written the book it's out there and it's not mine anymore and anyone can read it how they like but for me it's always what's in my brain is the way exactly the way I read it through so yeah yeah oh. okay okay last but sorry for the aside no, no, he, sl- <laughs> he slid in beside her and gathered her in his arms turning her so her back was curved into his chest Anya let out a deep sigh of contentment she'd never been naked with another person before but it felt so natural to be with him like this she smiled into the darkness and closed her eyes the heat generated between their bodies was incredible he pressed a kiss to the top of her head and her heart gave an odd panicked flutter she might have been ice before but she was well and truly melted now ah there it is there it is the 
I loved how you ended this scene because it was just like we had the tension, the push, the pull, the, the the eroticism and all of that going out. And then all of a sudden we had this big sigh moment, right? Like we're all wound up and this is the ah at the end. And I loved it because sometimes ending these can be so awkward. Yeah, you and know? the reality, the, the technicalities of sex are usually really awkward. I mean, if you're not using a condo, and I mean, there's, you know, there's general cleanup. There's, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> and in fact, a lot of my homes have that moment of like, when it's done, they're like, well, now what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. They, they often say in their heads, you know, like, well, he's done this before, but do I just lie here? Am I supposed to use some, you know, a wash up? I mean, what do I do? So I kind of like that vulnerability as well. And it's, it's realistic. I mean, yeah, I want it to feel like it could actually be happening and I think a lot of sex scenes are very glamorized almost like the porn version of of reality real sex you know it's it's Mm. beautiful and nobody everyone's gorgeous and shaved and perfect but it's not real and real is sometimes funny and sometimes messy and so yeah I want to kind of reflect that but this was yeah it should be this is the emotional connection at the end of the physical you know discovery this is the whole moment where she's like oh shit (laughs) like I'm actually in trouble and (laughs) and again that art overarching theme of heat and this is this ties in here with the the theme of she's melting and she's getting in trouble and is that going to destroy her is that going to be like the making of her um so yeah it's like while they've had they've had a great sex session there's still things to be it's like dot 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 it's like oh she's melted now but now what now what what's going to happen next and that's the point of keeping your reader wanting to read more after they kind of done it like they've done everything sort of physically that they can pretty much do right there's still half a book to go so we that they still got to draw out their attention and make the next time better or deeper or more interesting than the one they just had so what is your, I'm curious, what is your process? Are you an outliner or are you, or are you a discovery writer? I hate the thought of plotting, but I've, after now, what, 10 books, I've realized it's a lot easier if you have a vague idea of where you're going. I mean, right. it does, I used to overwrite massively and then have to cut like 15 or 20,000 words of just stuff that didn't need to be in there. And so now as I kind of get more and more deadlines, it's, it's a case of just don't write those 15,000 words to start with, just, just you know no so I vaguely outline but it's pretty vague it's like you know yeah it's like three act structure basically a midpoint you know all is lost moment dark tea time of the soul kind of thing but and then then I have the theme so usually there's a a word or two that um sum up the characters or that in my head I kind of know what they are um and that sometimes takes a little while into the book to kind of get yeah yeah you know it's funny because I'm working on I'm working on a novella right now um not my favorite. I find I struggle more with the shorter works than longer ones. Um, Me too. So I, I it all in. <laughs> I'm kind of like halfway. Like I'm, I'm sort of almost done with the first draft. I've probably got like maybe one more chapter to go. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, wait, her hands need to be rough. You know, and so it was like that sort of process of discovery of like she can't have soft hands and this has to be a thing, you know, <laughs> and now you got to go back and put that all the way through. And so and, but I would have never really caught on to that yeah. in an outline process. You know what I mean? I do a kind of cheat sheet through to my characters before I start, which is kind of the identity and essence kind of theme of it. Right. It's the outside thing that they show the world and what's that actually their their wound or their, you know what's the thing that's shaped them and what do they really wish for that it's not the thing they say they wish for but what do they actually need um so I do that and it's usually to do with the professions of the the heroines is a good starting point for like so I play with that and what that makes them so like the counterfeiter you know 
that whole theme of the book was what's real and what's fake. You can fake money. You can fake money is just a promise. It's not the actual goal. It's a promise to pay the bearer. And you can fake love and you can counterfeit love. And so that leads then into the ideas of the whole book and like the relationship. And the I have a map maker, you know, what do map makers do? She she is it opens and she's lost, which is just funny because map makers shouldn't be lost. They know where they're going. Right. She's lost. So I love playing on those scenes. So this was she's a Russian princess, so she's you know, she's title privileged, but she's cold and icy and that was the kind of theme for her. And then he's this kind of slightly cynical kind of hottie, which works really well when you mash them together because they're gonna either melt each other or she's gonna freeze them out or you know, right. so that that kind of works really nicely. So that I guess that is how I start plotting. And that goes with the, the I, I just put out major scenes, like there's two or three major scenes that usually before I start a book, I have in my head, which are either right. funny. It's just this scene that I've read that's from the research that I think that's going in the book. And everything else is just linking those five or six scenes together. And then it kind of naturally comes together in this, like making bread dough. It's a big old mess. And then all of a sudden it comes together and everything sticks and you're just left with a ball of dough. And you're like, ah, I've got a book. Yes. So I'm so relieved to hear you say that the big old mess get because I feel like when I'm like sort of doing and, and I picture all the other writers being so elegant with that you know what I mean <laughs> sort of are drafting the perfect book as it goes along and I'm over here like sort of like fighting with it and you know beating it into submission you know <laughs> I have a wall of crazy so I it's literally a wall of post notes you know how in films they always have the, the serial killer has got this wall of pictures and yes and stuff and strings going to everything and yes. that's my that's called my wall of crazy and it's on a wall of Murphy's and that's how every book starts um and I, I do post-it notes and I'll move them around because all I've got are these big scenes on the post-it notes like I want mm. this one the, the big scene I guess I'm trying to think there was a couple of Russian superstitions that went in there that I wanted to, I could see very clearly the scenes that we're going to have um, and that kind of shaped them. But I know they get moved around a lot and I, you know, I, I curse a lot. I'm about to start the second in a new, I've written the first book of the new series. And I'm about to start the second book in the new series. And I have no idea because when you sell the book, it's basically on a one paragraph synopsis or two paragraph synopsis. So Okay. you send it in it's like yes great and then you're like oh man I've no idea like literally I know there's two things that's going to happen in this book and otherwise the the only kind of overarching thing I've got is it's like bringing up baby you know the black and white film bringing up yes baby. yes that in the regency that's all I have in my head <laughs> which there's a dancing bear that's and it's going to be or whatever it is and yeah I love it there's a dancing bear I know, like a dancing bear that they have to play music to to lure and obviously there's there's an escape bear from a circus that's not the good bear that's like an evil bear and I don't know how this is going to turn into a book it has to in six months time because I have to hand it in but right now we're in the fun plotting stages um but what will happen is I will I start like I do a Pinterest board that's quite useful for me because I'm very visual so okay you know, I would do Pinterest and, and I will find like visual clues and stuff and then I'll that will then lead to I'll look up was there really a dancing bear was there a circus in town I'm in the Wales the foothills of Wales at the moment with two families that hate each other um which is great because that's inbuilt conflict this is like 500 years of like the Montagues and the Capulets in the oh fantastic and um yeah, yeah that, so that's got inbuilt tension and um just and tropes I love tropes tropes are there for a reason you know like I love yeah. I've done them all enemies to lovers is one of my favorites because that's got the I love that one yeah. uh, friends lovers or uh, best friends little sister I love it I've done Hades Persephone kind of myth kind of thing uh 
and were they up for kind of fame, marriage of convenience or inconvenience? I've done that a couple of times. Um, so, I mean, they're loved for a reason. People like, that's why we read romance. You know it's going to have a happy ending. The only question is how, what adventure you're going to have on that journey, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's endlessly fun. I'm not bored of it yet. Let's, let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Kate, where can, where can people find you? Oh, in all the usual places. I'm, on, I'm just I'm starting out on Instagram. I'm pretty useless on Instagram. It's mainly on my new dog at the moment, my puppy. I'm on Instagram at uh, Casey underscore Bateman. I'm on f- Twitter at, at Kate Bateman. Uh, Facebook. I've got a Facebook group called Badasses in Bodices, which is is a lot of fun. There's giveaways and stuff. Or you can just generally find me at, as Kate Bateman on, on the internet. And I've got a website, CaseyBateman.com. And Excellent. all the usual places you buy books, wherever books are sold. You know, there's Fantastic. silly, usually. <laughs> And I will have links in the show notes to all of these places. Kate, thank you so much for doing this. It was really amazing to have you and so much good nuggets here. So I appreciate it. It's always, I mean, it's nice to talk to another author that actually kind of understands it as well, because I can talk about, you know, stuff I love, which is romance genre all day long. So (laughs) this is no fun. And you're going to have to come back. (laughs) Let's do it again. Yes. (laughs) No, I'm just, I don't have the time of the week, but uh, that would be fun. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been really good. To, 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 and strangely, I never do this deeper dive into my own, into my own sex scenes, really. Once it's edited and gone, I kind of forget about it. So it's kind of been nice to revisit this one because obviously this book yeah. was out last week, but I've written another whole book and a novella since then. So you kind of, you kind of rediscover it. It's kind of nice. Occasionally you'll get yeah. a line where you're like, oh, I like that. That's a really good sentence. I wrote that. That's, that's impressive. Like, <laughs> yes. I have been on a good day. Like that was that was a two cup of tea day. That was that was really good. <laughs> it's a wonderful book. Kate, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.